Amen. Thanks, Jim. Morning, everyone. We uh, have been in a series uh, just starting entitled The Church That Cares. Thinking about how how do we, uh, as a church that's growing, that has a number of people attached to it, how do we care for one another uh, like that? How do we care in a church that's like that? They reckon that when a church gets to about 100 people, you start to have to think about how to care differently for one another. When a church is uh, over 250, you have to have a complete radical reshift in thinking about how do we care for one another in a way that is helpful. Because we can't just rely on uh, any one person, vicar or otherwise, to be the person that cares for everybody. Uh, It just is impossible with a, a certain number of people. So, how, how do we go about being a church that cares? And as we look at it this morning, we're thinking particularly about guarding and protecting one another and looking at 1 Peter chapter 5 particularly. So, if you have a Bible handy, uh, it, they're on the end of the pews, you can find it. It's around page 1220. See you, Lily. Bye. Have fun. Have a coffee for me. They have coffee in the crash, you realize. It's shocking. so you do have to have a child before you can go in there and get a coffee Um, so 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 to 11 and a bit of context in this little bit of the Bible this is uh, written by Peter one of the disciples of Jesus brought to Jesus by Andrew um, lived following Jesus as a disciple made some mistakes in his life and in his ministry was reinstated after he let Jesus down badly and uh, headed off into the early church being one of the significant leaders, uh, the person that preached on the day of Pentecost and through whom over 3,000 people came to faith from the, on the back of one sermon. That's not a bad day's work, is it, for a preacher? And here he is writing a letter to, to the early church. Um, this is a church that's all over modern-day Turkey, a church that was spread out, was growing and Peter was writing to them uh, particularly on the fa- in the face of what was persecution we know from history that Nero was in full swing persecuting the Christians and here was the church spread out being encouraged by Peter to look out for and look after one another they were first generation Christians nobody you know gone before in this they were working church out as they went along And in some senses, it's good for the church to keep doing that, to work out church. What does it mean to be the church of God in a particular place at a particular time? So I want to say three quick things this morning from this passage. Firstly, all about the shepherd's call. Be shepherds of God's flock. A reminder that we're we're thinking of this series because as the church grows, we've had a focus for evangelism and growth and life group development and all of that over the last couple of years. As the church grows and continues to grow, we want to think about how do we care for one another in that kind of church. And there's been a picture which a number of folks have had, a picture of a net uh, which is used for catching fish, for those of you that are the non, of the non-fisherman variety. You use a, a, a net to catch fish. You also use a net to carry the catch And you use a net to contain uh, what you've caught within one place so that they're secure and that none of them are lost. That's a picture, really, of of why we're doing this series. Why are we thinking about caring for one another? We want to get better 
as a church at catching people for Jesus. We want to get better as a church of carrying one another's burdens. And we want to be better as a church at containing people. In other words, not losing anybody as we go along as a church. So we're to be shepherds of God's flock. And uh, want to, in a sense, although you might look at the people in the leadership of the church and or point a finger at vicars or licensed lay ministers or worship leaders or life group leaders and say, well, this passage is just for you. I want us to spread our thinking a little bit. That as we think about caring for one another, it can't just be the realm of the few. It has to be the realm of the many. Be shepherds of God's flock uh, alongside one another. And we'll come back to that in a minute. I, I meet church leaders quite a lot in my part of my current role as area dean. And I, and I meet church leaders all the time that say this kind of thing. Um, we... Uh, don't have enough people or I I wish I had the number of people that you've got or if only we had more younger people or if only we had more families with kids or if only if only if only and you notice what Peter writes to this bunch of Christians in this in verse 2 he says be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care in other words don't think about what you haven't got or who you haven't got think about who you do have and care for them. It has to be the focus for the way that church grows. And so if you're a life group leader, don't be looking across the street at another life group thinking, I wish we had their front room to meet in. Or I I wish we had that person in our group because they seem so er erudite and well-informed. Don't think like that. Just think, well, who've I got? Who's Who's the Lord put into my care at this time who are my neighbours don't think about who you haven't got but think about the people that are under your care be shepherds of who we've got already why do we do that why do we care for people because we are willing I think we can go a long way with a willing heart people who are willing to get stuck in and to help in whatever way I've been amazed this year we've had our vision, vision night uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, or last week, whenever it was, I don't know. We had our vision right last week, and what was wonderful this year about everybody I asked to help in one way or another said yes. Uh, people to be assistant church wardens, church warden, a range of people, sides people. Everybody I spoke to said yes. So if you want anything done, and you need to ask somebody, come and have a word with me, and I'll. <laughs> I'm on a roll, I tell you. It's not always like that. But what I, what I love about it is people with willing hearts who say, yeah, do you know, let's, how can we help? How can we get stuck in? And you only have to look at the notice sheet uh, on any given week to see the, the range of people and the things happening. Some people might say we're too busy, there's too much going on. But there is a sign of people who are willing getting stuck in. And they're willing to serve, willing to, to be involved. Why? Because we want to be eager to serve, to be desperate to get involved and to serve. And if you're sitting there thinking, you know, I'd, I, I'd love to help in one way or another and I don't know where, come and have a chat with somebody. I'd be delighted to point you in somebody's direction 
be eager to serve. It's what the Christian life is all about. It's why one of our strategies for our uh, vision of being at the heart of the community, living to make a difference, is about being a serving church, a church that serves the area. Look for places that you might serve and to help. And Jimmy mentioned a whole load earlier on. You might want to dive into the preschool and nursery over the bank holiday weekend and paint stuff. I mean, obviously, they'll direct you which stuff to paint. But don't just go in randomly with a paint pot and a, a brush because that would ca- cause chaos. But just to, to go in and, and to help there or the noise project coming up. Loads of things where we can get stuck in and serve. How do we do that? How we helped in that? How does it help? Because, as Peter said to these Christians, it helps us to live lives that are lives of example. We're called to be those that don't just talk up the Christian faith, but demonstrate it. Live it out alongside other people. I had a random thought uh, last night when I was trying to get to sleep. It doesn't often take me very long to get to sleep, actually. In fact, normally my head hits the pillow and I'm, I'm gone like that. But last night I had a random thought. It was this. What would our church look like if everybody who came to the church who said, yeah, we want to we be a part of St. Michael's, if everybody who came was partnered with somebody else who said, how can we help? One-on-one. How can I help? Can, you know, can we meet to, to pray? Can we meet to read the Bible? Can we meet just to talk to you about how the church works? Uh, can we, could we help? And we do that sporadically, I think. But we want to get better at it. What would it look like to be that kind of church where one-on-one we set an example to those that are joining with us? Be an example of how to read the Bible, of how to pray, of how to worship, of how to get stuck in. I said at the nine o'clock service that Friday night we have football and I was playing on Friday night and always by Sunday morning I'm an aching mess. Saturdays I'm not too bad but Sunday mornings I'm always an aching mess it takes me 20 minutes to get to the communion table at the 9 o'clock communion service uh, because of playing football but uh, Friday Friday night I was in defence alongside um, Mr Steve Webb who was a very good footballer and a very good defender and I am useless I learnt a lot just from being next to Steve watching him listening to him when he said, Oi, you're in the wrong space, tubby. (laughs) Encouraging things like that. Um, It set an example of how to play football just by being with somebody. Now, you could have sat with me for hours and gone through a strategy of football on a bit of paper and said, you know, we're going to move you here, Simon, at this time in the game. And I'd have gone, yeah, very interesting, but it's not very practical. Being with Steve helped me to learn. And do you know, I think we're called to be that, like that, as Christians. If you're not investing in somebody else's life, I would say figure out a way that you could pray for that to happen. Don't just be someone who sucks in somebody else's stuff. Offer to give. Whatever you've learned in your Christian life, you have a responsibility to pass it on to somebody else. That's the dynamic of being a disciple. Whatever you've learned, you have a responsibility to pass it on. And don't worry about what you don't know. Just worry about what you do know. Pass on whatever God has, has placed in you. And probably they've placed it there because of somebody else. Now, if you think this stuff doesn't make any difference at all, have a little look at, um, at this video clip.
The main thing that, that, that we've discovered is the, the friendliness of people. You know, people talk to you, they, they uh, ask you how you are, and, and they do show a lot of genuine uh, concern for you. Uh, and it, it just stands out uh, like a sore thumb, as they say. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. It wasn't till I was in my 60s, 65, that uh, I was encouraged to go to church by my uh, daughter-in-law, who is now a vicar. Um, and I said, when she asked me, I said, well, when I'm ready, I will go. And uh, the time came when I was ready. After maybe uh, probably two or three weeks, maybe a month, we realized, or I realized anyway, what I'd been missing. The the peace of mind, uh, the help that I've been able to give to other people, which I didn't realize I was able to do before, uh, really, really struck home. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that I've now got to a place where I'm a little bit limited to what I can do, but even that little bit makes a difference. The church for us has given us a uh, a place where we can take people like the over 65 mill that the church does. We, uh, we know the mill's about to take place. Uh, we're skipping about and asking our friends, would you like to come to St. Michael's uh, for a mill? And they, they look at you a bit sheepishly and think, mm, I don't know, church mill, what, biscuits and tea? And, and we said, no, it's a, a real proper mill. And uh, when they come down and, you know, sample, they really realise, you know, what, what a good thing the church is doing. They thought the church was just to go and sit down, sing some hymns, say your prayers and go back home and forget all about it. No, that's not the case. It gels the community, it brings the community together. The, the church at times is, is virtually full to the brim uh, and really does need to have some extended you know, uh, facilities. I, I know it's going to be a success and I'm praying it's going to be a success and I hope I'm here when it is a success and uh, if anybody watches this uh, don't know about it, come and ask me and, and I'll, I'll run you through it. It's marvellous. Come and enjoy it. You can't go wrong. You can't lose. We have We love it. My wife and I absolutely smash it. Yeah. It's great, isn't it? George, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to share something of your story. Huh? <laughs> for Rob, who uh, so skillfully put that together, it's, uh, it makes a, it's made a massive impact we showed it at the vision night and people had, gave a round of applause uh, spontaneously for that and uh, it's great isn't it just stories of God at work and watching a man clear snow from his own pathway and throw it onto the neighbour's pathway <laughs> in the middle of June is just an absolute is an absolute blessing to our neighbourhood so um no, clearing somebody else's pathway, weren't you, George? So that's, uh, 
it's what it's all about. It's a, a church that cares, you know, not just for ourselves, but for other people as well. One person at a time, we can set an example of transformation and change, um, which, is, which is so vital. So there's the shepherd's call that's upon our lives as a church. Secondly, there's the, the shepherd's character that we're called to be people of submission. It says there, if you're younger, submit to yourselves to your elders. That means we can learn from one another, people who have had experience in life and been through things. We don't have to work some of this stuff out ourselves. We can look to others who've been through similar things so that we might be encouraged and helped ourselves. Our, our character, we're meant to be people of humility, clothing ourselves with humility. And that word literally means that we're to wear the apron of a servant. It's a bit like when Jesus washed the disciples' feet in John 13. It says that Jesus put an apron around himself and then he started to wash their feet. It's the same word. Clothe yourselves with humility is about wearing the apron of a servant every day. Picking up the apron of a servant and saying, today is my opportunity to serve. Who will I serve? Where will I serve? Who will I help? I'm not just to receive a blessing from God. I'm to be a blessing to other people. I receive in order to give. I get to give. That's the dynamic of what it means to be a Christian. Clothe yourselves with humility. And I don't know how many of you got dressed this morning by accident. I mean, how many of you just woke up dressed and thought, uh, wow, who did that? Uh, unless you've got very, very loving husband or wife, um, I, I, you probably got up and chose what you wanted to wear. Uh, you thought, I'm going to get dressed today on the basis that it'd probably be embarrassing if I don't. Um, if I go to church without doing that, um, you know, all manner of things could go wrong. So you, you chose to get dressed. You then picked out what you would wear. You then clothed yourself in it, and then you came out uh, appropriately dressed. As Christians, we're called to be the same. It says, clothe yourself with humility. In other words, pick up the apron of a servant every day. This stuff doesn't happen by accident. It happens because we are purposeful in picking up the apron of a servant and saying, who can I help today? Who can I look for proactively? Who can I spot that God is already at work in and I can help in one way or another? I could buy them a train ticket or I could buy them some food or I could help in one way or another. We could make a difference in this nation. I said at nine o'clock, if we serve one person at their point of need, we might transform somebody's week. If we serve one person and we transform their week, it might change their family. If we serve one person, it transforms their week. It changes one family. It might change a neighborhood. If we serve one person, it changes their week. It might change a family. It might change a neighborhood. It might actually transform a nation. One person at a time makes a difference. We're called to do that. Somebody said, one person can't change the world, but you can change the world for one person. We're called to be people who put on the servant of an apron every single day. Clothe yourselves with humility. Humble yourselves, Peter says, therefore under God's mighty hand. Whatever God is doing here at this time, we have to constantly remember to give him the glory. It's not about us. We're simply called to serve whatever way we can, and the, the benefit of that is that God gets the glory. We serve, and God gets the glory. And that means we always point to Jesus and say it's about him. It's for him. 
We want you to meet him and be changed by him. It's for him that we do this stuff. So we're to be humbling ourselves before the Lord. And then in verse 7, this fantastic verse that summarizes the whole of the Christian faith, really. Cast all your anxiety on him. And the word casting is literally the same word that's used when you cast at fishing. When you cast the line, when you're fishing. Or when you throw something to somebody. It's the same word. It's that proactivity of throwing something in somebody's direction. Peter says, cast all your anxiety or all your cares on him. Notice how many of our anxieties we're to give to Jesus. Just the ones that we think he can manage with or the ones that are most uppermost in our minds or the ones that are most polite or nice or that people can cope with if we were to fall apart in their presence. No, we cast onto Jesus all our anxieties. Everything that you come with this morning, there's nothing that God is not interested in. There's nothing that he's not done enough to receive those anxieties and then to deal with them. Everything that we bring when we gather together, God is passionate about bringing some change and transformation to. Cast all your anxiety onto him. And uh, I had a fantastic session once at a retreat where we were encouraged to um, step forward and to pick up a plate uh, in the context of worship and throw it at um, a cross that was at one end. I mean, obviously you had to get within distance, but to just throw this plate at this wall and, it, and hear the smash as it crashed against the cross. And it was incredibly cathartic, actually. Um, and I kept going back. I kept thinking of extra things that I could, <laughs> I could go and do. Oh, that's, no, that's an anxiety. There was a big stack of plates at the front with people stepping up and just hurling them at the cross. And you could hear this n- the noise of crashing plates hitting the cross and just bursting um, across the floor. It's that picture that verse 7 is all about. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. What an amazing picture of the cross in verse 7. If you needed a summary of the Christian faith, here it is. Jesus did everything on the cross to deal with and to uh, um, pay the price for our anxieties and our worries and our cares. We're called to cast all those on him. Why? Because he condemns us or because he... No, because it says here, he cares for us. Jesus cares for us and calls us to cast all our anxieties onto him. I wonder what your uppermost anxiety is this morning. Uh, what is it that God's that's there that is, you've brought with you to church? Worries about a, a whole manner of things. Maybe in a moment there's an opportunity. We haven't got an, any plates here. Um, but maybe in a moment there's an opportunity to do exactly that, to bring our anxieties before the Lord because he cares for us. And then lastly, and we're not going to focus uh, too much on this, just a reminder really that our, our, the shepherd's cause, our cause, is to remember that our fight is not against flesh and blood. We are in a battle. If you thought otherwise, you won't go on too far as a Christian before you come up against 
um, difficulty and trouble and um, attack. Be alert, Peter says, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Jesus put it like this in John 10. He said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We are in a battle, folks. To live as a Christian means that we are in a battle. And primarily that battle is not against people or circumstances. It's to stand alongside one another and to pray that we would be spiritually strong when there is attack from the enemy. Because the, the enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, looking for people to devour. And whenever you've, you've seen those programs on the TV when they show a, a lion or a pack of lions chasing um, a whole bunch of gazelle or whatever they're chasing in that moment, they always look, don't they, the lions, for the gazelle that's on the outside, the gazelle that's isolated. And they will work for that purpose, the lion will, to make sure that people are isolated. If ever there's a message to take on board what it says in Hebrews, where it says, don't give up the habit of meeting together. It's why we gather with one another on Sundays, so that we can support, encourage, and help one another live as Christians. To try and do it by yourself is, I think, impossible. If you're able to survive as a Christian by never being part of a church, you're a better person than me. Because I don't think I could. I don't think I could. The enemy, the devil, looks for someone to devour. And we're called to be those that resist him. Standing firm in faith. And do you know the interesting thing here? That the standing firm in faith bit is linked to being a family of believers. Trying to stand firm by yourself is a tough call. But to stand alongside someone else and help them to stand up straight is what we're called to be. So there we go. It's the shepherd's call. It's the shepherd's cause. It's the shepherd's character. But it's an us together thing. It's why we are pursuing this whole pastoral care direction. What are, how are we to care for people? Because we, uh, God calls us to that. He calls us to care, to be a community of people that support one another, who reach out and who protect those that God has placed alongside us as we pray. So, why don't we uh, pray together? Let's, let's stand, shall we, in this